is always so rush, rush. We can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now, here is Gabriella Von Ray. Welcome everyone to this Friday on um, March 21st and we have a very interesting guest who's going to talk about helping children make friends. Her name is Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore and she's helping parents and children learn to have healthy friendships. Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, welcome to our show. Hello, Gabriella. Thanks for having me. You are not only a published author, you have a PhD, and you have written several books, and you are a speaker. So let's start just for a second how you got into all of this. I know you're a parent of four children. What made you want to learn more about and teach to other people about these friendships? Well, I am a mother of four, as you said, and I'm also a clinical psychologist in Princeton, New Jersey, which means that I spend a lot of time with kids talking about their feelings and talking about their friendships. And I, I just felt that children really need, and parents too, really need very practical ways to help with these kinds of issues, because that's at the top of their concerns. Mm-hmm. Absolutely it is, because we often think only about academics, and while watching one of your videos, it, it really grabbed me that you were saying it's not all about academics, and my answer is yes, finally, someone is saying <laughs> it out there, so I'm really happy that you do, but why is it that we're not paying attention to that? Well, it's easier to quantify academics. They get a score on the test or, or on, on the paper that they write or on their homework. But the, the social-emotional stuff, it, it's more ambiguous. How do we know if they're doing well socially or emotionally? And yet this is so important because that ability to manage our feelings and to build relationships, that's fundamental to every kind of success. I agree totally. And would you say in your experience that there is a shift in, in that way of behaving because of the technology that we have today? Or would you say it, it's identical to what it was 10 years ago? Or do you see a shift or a change? I think it's harder nowadays for children to learn about getting along. Families are smaller and they tend to be more spread out. Families are also busier. You know, it often takes two incomes to support a family nowadays. And that means that families tend to be more isolated because we're just focused on kind of getting through and surviving. Also, of course, if we talk about playing, we have to talk about the, the impact of the electronics on kids. Mm-hmm. Imagine two children playing catch. So what's happening here? They're looking right at each other. They're anticipating what the other person is going to do. They're moving. They're responding. Now picture two kids playing a video game. They're sitting shoulder to shoulder. They're not even looking at each other. And they're not responding in the same way. They're not reading the emotions and the reactions in the same way that they would with other kinds of form, other forms of play. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying we should banish all video games and all, all texting, but we do have to understand that that's a kind of a, a, a diminished 
a weakened, a, a, a smaller kind of communication than face-to-face communication. Mm-hmm. I agree totally. But I like your take and your example on, on that they don't see the emotions. By not seeing the emotions, is that in your latest book, let me just mention your latest book, Smart Parenting for Smart Kids, do you explain in that book how to deal with, with the emotional part for parents to guide our children better? Yes, in, in that book we talk about uh, different skills that children need to learn, like tempering okay. perfectionism or building connections, developing motivation, and I think most importantly, finding joy. Okay. Why don't we start with the one that you find the most important? <laughs> Elaborate a little bit on finding joy. There are two main components of okay. well-being. The first is pleasure. And the other is meaning. And really, we need both of these because pleasure without meaning is kind of empty. And meaning without pleasure, that's, uh, that's martyrdom. <laughs> that, that's not good either. So okay. we really need both components. And, and as parents, we can support both of these. So, for instance, in terms of pleasure, the next time your child has a treat... Now, talk about how do you enjoy this treat as much as possible. Have you ever seen a kid eating an Oreo cookie? You know how they do that? Yes, yes. they love it. They right. peel it all apart. <laughs> exactly. They lick it. So this may not be good matters, but it's a sign of emotional intelligence because they're getting the most enjoyment possible out of this treat. And it doesn't just have to be food, of course. It could be experiences. So when you're driving home from a family outing, you can talk with your children and say, what did you enjoy most about that? What was the funnest part for you? And that helps to to extend the pleasure of that event. You can also go through photo albums or, or on, on your iPad or iPhone, just old photos, and say, do you remember that? And that can bring back happy memories. They don't have to necessarily be impressive kind of memories. I know for my children, one time my husband and I were traveling and my father was in charge of the kids. And he's not very good at housekeeping sorts of things. So he put hand dishwashing detergent in the dishwasher. Can you imagine what happened? (laughs) The bubbles came flooding out. And so then they got towels, but the bubbles kept coming. So then they got buckets and they got mops, but the bubbles kept coming and coming and coming through the whole cycle. And it took a long time to, to clean all of this up. And you know what the kids said afterwards? Can we do it again? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Because it was fun. They'll remember it forever, right? Exactly, exactly. So these little memories can can add a lot to the pleasure component of our of our children's lives. But we also need a sense of meaning. And for the meaning part is really about being connected to something bigger than ourselves. Sometimes this is a sense of a connection to our family. So we know kids are happier when they know more about their families, the history of how did your grandparents meet or, you know, where did your your father go to school. This gives them a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. A sense of meaning can also come from volunteer work. You know, that gives us perspective on whatever we're going through. And it also gives us a helper's high. Mm-hmm. To feel good that we're, we're contributing in, an, in a meaningful and important way. Um, meaning can also come from a sense of flow. So the idea of flow is something that was developed by a, a psychologist named Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi out of the University of Chicago. 
and he found he's, he found this from studying artists. He noticed that while the artists were doing their painting or whatever, they were completely absorbed in what they were doing. So they lost track of time. They were utterly unselfconscious. And then when the flow, when the painting was done, they the flow stopped and they they kind of snapped out of it. Mm-hmm. So he discovered that the more flow people have in their lives, the happier they are. And he found this with rock climbers and train engineers and parents and executives. The more flow they had, the happier they were. So then he did another study, which was a beeper study. And he would page people at at different times and ask them to report, what are you doing, how are you feeling? And it turns out that among Americans, we are more likely to experience flow at work than at home. Now, this doesn't mean that we should work all the time, but it does mean that we should think more actively about what is it, what are the experiences that give us that sense of flow. So flow usually comes in activities that match our abilities. So if if the challenge is too high, it feels anxiety-provoking. If it's too low, it feels boring. And it also often comes with creative endeavors. So that's where it ties in with feeling connected with something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And do you, am I understanding it correctly that when we don't have that flow at home, it's because we're, we end up being less creative at home than we are at work or where we're challenged to be creative, I, I should almost say? I, I think it's more that we, we're more likely to, to be doing things that mm-hmm. elicit flow, that, that bring out that sense of flow at work because okay. those are the times when we challenge ourselves to be creative and when we do tasks that you know we have to put our, our all into it as opposed to just being more passive. But uh, there are a lot of ways you can get flow. It doesn't have to be just for work. Uh, sometimes Some people get a sense of flow from reading or from running. Um, a child sitting in a, a sandbox just pouring the sand back and forth between two buckets, that's a sense of flow. So mm-hmm. being fully present, fully engaged in what we're doing. Okay, absolutely. Okay, and so you said joy. What was the other one? Um, well, there are a lot of things. I mean, one of the main ones is about building connection. And that's about making friends and getting along with people. Yeah. So do you feel that building connections is... Um, much easier for a child that has, I always call it foundation, and maybe that's the wrong word to use, um, but the child that has a family that they feel very connected to, is it easier for a child like that to build connections? I think it is. It's not a guarantee, but it's certainly a good starting point that that, um, they're used to connecting with people. They have a positive expectation for how people are going to react to them. Sure, that's that's a fabulous foundation. The other thing that's really good about having a caring family is mm-hmm. that they can be support during those rough spots in, okay. in friendships, which are going to happen. To we all know, of us, no matter what. No matter what. We know, for <laughs> example, that 50% of friendships in elementary school kids don't make it through the whole school year. True. So breakups are common, but they can be very painful. Okay, let's hold that thought. We're going to go into commercial break and we'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even co-worker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things. And together, you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite twice every week. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety and on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. To Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G A B R I E L L A V A N R I J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone, and if you're just tuning in, our guest today is Dr. Eileen Kennedy-Moore, who's helping parents and children learn to have healthy friendships. Her book is Smart Parenting for Smart Kids, available on Amazon, both in Kindle format and in book format, and she has a blog, I need to mention this before I forget it, psychologytoday.com slash blog growing friendships and growing friendships is growing dash friendships dr eileen just before the break we were talking about building connections and i really like what you said and for the parent out there you yourself said you know we have a different um world out there where both parents work and we don't always have time building connections how What can you tell us to help a parent that is listening right now to this show to have our children come to us when it's not only because they did something splendid at school academically, but when they lose a friendship or when they're sad about something that happened? Well, I think the key to parenting and really to any relationship is to turn toward each other more often than away. That's fundamentally what it comes down to. So 
in my, this can be, mean anything. It could mean noticing and acknowledging their feelings. It could mean taking the extra time to um, help them button their coat when they're having trouble or letting them put the money in the parking meter, even though you could do it faster yourself. It means knowing who their friends are. It means um, supporting, getting them that book on the, the 28th book on baseball players because that's what their passion is. So really turning towards them more often than away. Now, in my family, I noticed one time that when my kids came home from school, I tended to be very task-oriented. You know, okay, everybody hang up your coats. We have to have a snack. What do you have for homework? I wasn't mean about it, but I just decided that's not what I want to do when I first see my children. So Mm -hmm. I decided to make myself a cup of tea. And for the length of time that it took me to drink that hot tea, I would just pay attention to my children. I still had to do all that about the dinner and the homework and the hang up the shoes, the put away the shoes and hang up the coats. But I could take those few minutes to just slow down and pay attention. Yep. That sounds like really good advice. I, I love it. Because you are right that as a parent, you go straight into the mode that you're best at, which is, you know, the task that they do have to do because there is a lot that these kids need to do nowadays in that short time before dinner. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that's not the right time for you, just find another time. But we Mm -hmm. want non-demanding time hanging out together. The other thing is parents often complain, oh, my child doesn't tell me things. If that's the case, don't interrogate them because that's just going to make them shut down more. (laughs) But what you can do is model for them. So if you see something funny that happens at work, tell them about it. And now you're showing them how to share and you're building the connection that way. Um, and, and be careful that when you do ask questions, mm-hmm. um, that it's, it's not uh, did you, <laughs> because that sounds very demanding, and it sounds like the next question is going to be, well, why didn't you? <laughs> That's not going to help our, our kids to mm-hmm. open up. So try to ask how or what questions. Those tend to get a more elaborate answer, and they don't sound as critical or like like we're just ready to yell at them. <laughs> I, I also find, and, and I hear this often from the children's side, that they feel that they can't take any child home um, because they feel that the parents interrogate their friends. Uh, who are you? What do you like? Who are your parents? What, right, do, you, right. what, what do your parents do? So I, I've heard children say that to me, you know, my, you know, I keep everything a secret because my parents interrogate my friends. <laughs> how, how, how can we learn to do that better? Because honest, I don't think we do it meanly, but we do it because we, we want to stay on top of it. Yes. Um, we we just kind of have to have a light touch there, I think, and feed them. <laughs> That's pretty okay. much a guarantee that your kids' and friends will like you. <laughs> Give yes. them good food. <laughs> food is always a good icebreaker. I agree yes. totally. So the question you should be asking is, who'd like a snack? <laughs> <laughs> we all do. <laughs> right, right. So that, right, that's so, a good way to do it. So just um, be relaxed about it. Right. And to be to be careful about um, asking not too many questions all in a row. So um, it's fine to ask, you know, oh, what activities do you do outside of the school? Because that, that might get you a chance to... Um, get to know them a little bit. 
But really, with the play date, your goal is for your child and the other child to have a good time. You are secondary. Um, and so let me give you one tip about having good play dates. Often there's an awkward part at the beginning of the play date where one kid says, what do you want to do? And the other kid says, I don't know, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. So what we can do to prevent that is have your child think beforehand about two possible activities. Then when the friend arrives, give them a choice between those two activities. And that, that can get things moving more quickly. Okay. Wow, that is, that is really good too. So um, with building connections, we were talking about the, the essence of a foundation. Is there an advice that, we, that you would have as a psychologist for the parents that what I call are all new created families? And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we do have a, an enormous statistics on divorce and meaning we have children that now live with stepchildren. And so these families are just different than they used to be. Right. Is there advice on that level? So you have a kid, for example, that calls you mom, but the other child in the household calls you Linda. Right. And yeah. you, you know what I mean. Yeah. What, what do they do to create just as much a healthy relationship with not having an answer back, you're not my parent? Right. Be very, very careful, particularly in the early years, of being uh, not to be the disciplinarian of your non-biological children because that's, uh, that's not going to go anywhere good. You have to build the connection before you can have the authority. So in the early years, it's better to just let the, the biological parent handle the discipline. And what I would say is true for um, um, new parent or um, a friend of mine calls them her bonus kids. <laughs> what, what okay, I, I love it. It's That's good beautiful. For bonus kids as well as um, biological kids is mm-hmm. to really listen um, and to acknowledge their feelings. Too often we adults leap in immediately to solve the problem. Well, you should do this. And that's not what our kids need from us. They just need us to listen and to acknowledge their feelings. So you can say things like, that sounds really frustrating. You must have been very upset by that. Or you wish you wouldn't do that. So we're just describing the feelings that we see. We're not trying to fix them. We're just describing them. And then the next question to ask is, well, we keep doing that until we can see their little shoulders relax. You, you can actually see a physical change when children feel heard. And only that, at that point can we ask, what do you think you're going to do about it? And ask the child first before you leap in, well, you should never speak to her again, and I'll call the mother, and all the rest of that. We want to give them the chance to work out their difficulties. Absolutely. That's really good advice, and you're totally right. I see it always in the children. Their shoulders, their whole demeanor changes when, uh, when they relax, when they know that they when have they feel heard. And the flip side attention. is also true. When children don't feel heard, they tend to get louder. I had a family once where the boy came home and said, I hate Stuart's guts. And the parents, who were lovely, very thoughtful, very gentle people, responded by saying, well, throughout history, dehumanization is what has led to atrocities. Now, they are right. This is absolutely true. But their timing was really off. Because you know what the kid said? He said, I want to tell Stuart. And (laughs) the poor parents were worried that they're raising this future axe murderer. But no, the principle here is when children don't feel heard, 
they get louder. We really uh-huh. can't skip that step of acknowledging their feelings. It's actually for all of us that, because I think in, in partners and husbands... And, this is very um, true, yes. It's, it's the same thing, right? We, when we're not heard, we, we become louder uh-huh. until we, we say nothing anymore. Right, right. I always say to, to men, be happy that your wife complains, because she's still, <laughs> she's still communicating with you. And I'm no psychologist, but I always believe that communication is better than none at all. Right. And, I mean, what, the, what do we want to hear is, oh, you poor baby, that sounds really hard. Yes, <laughs> or I know you had a miserable <laughs> day, what can I do to help you? Right. <laughs> we, we just want to be heard. And, yes. and I really like something that I read about you online, and I'm trying to look it up. It's something really fun. You, you said 12, 12 ways to get your parents' attention. And um, it's probably not enough, the, the subject just in front uh, before the break, but I just wanted to ask you, you said here, I read, what about me? 12 ways to get your parents' attention without hitting your sister or brother. Right. That's, that's I love book. that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that. Well, when my son was a frisky four-year-old, he used to get into trouble way too often for hitting his sisters. Now, as a psychologist, I knew that one of the best ways to handle misbehavior is to teach kids positive ways to ask for what they need. So I made him a bunch of index cards, um, and, and he loved them, and he would do all of the strategies one after the other. So that little booklet of index cards was the basis for What About Me? 12 Ways to Get Your Parents' Attention Without Hitting Your Sister. Wow, that that's amazing, and, and, and that book is available on Amazon too. And, that book and is available too. I, I love that because <laughs> because I think we struggle as parents. We especially when we have more children, who do we give attention to, and and where at the right time, and when, and and this is what what I'm going to ask you after the break. When is it that? We should have listened, but we didn't. And the topic really near and dear to my heart is, of course, the children at school that aren't talking to us anymore, and which I believe um, give us that one last ditch effort, but we might miss it. Uh, We're going to go into a commercial break, but think about how we can help parents with that when we get back. Okay. Sounds Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G A B R I E L L A. V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone. And if you're an educator or a parent, don't move. (laughs) This segment is definitely for you because Dr. Eileen Kennedy-Moore is trying to help us to actually be a better parent and a better listener. And one of the things that I think I said just before the commercial break, Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, what a mouthful, is, um, you know, when you are out there with children working every day, and I'm in that case too, when is it that you should have listened and that you kind of didn't or that you punished them instead, but that they said that thing that was so important that later on you can hit yourself and say, ah, why didn't I see it? Why didn't I hear it? That child that asks you that one thing that's really important and you're just too busy or you have just too many children as a teacher in front of you. What is it that we can do to pay more attention to that one child that needed it? Well, Gabriella, I think you're touching on a really important issue, which is that the children's need for attention. So a lot of times um, parents hear things like, oh, just ignore him. He's only doing it for attention. Yes, exactly. I think that's really bad advice because attention is a real need for children and for all of us. But the key is knowing how to get positive attention rather than negative attention. And that was the key idea between my, behind my children's book, What About Me? 12 Ways to Get Your Parents' Attention Without Hitting Your Sister. Okay. So, but, but this is true for adults as well. I mean, imagine a married couple. Let's mm-hmm. say that they haven't been spending much time together. Now, one option for dealing with this is the wife could say to the husband, you never pay attention to me. Another option is she could say, honey, I've missed you. I've got the babysitter set. Come on, let's go. 
I mean, it's obvious when you lay it out like that, which is going to get a more positive response. But too often, we resort to the negative strategies, and so do our children. So we really need to help them to learn positive ways to get our attention and to catch them being good. That's the fundamental thing here. Every time I do a workshop on um, parenting or disciplining, and often uh, people want to know about punishment, Yes. And when I, when I get families in my practice, often they, they, they're very frustrated with their children, and they're hoping at some level that I will know an even more horrible punishment than, they, <laughs> than they've been able to come up with. You know, something that's going to you know, make this kid snap out of it once and for all. But it doesn't work that way. Our children didn't learn to walk once and for all. They didn't learn to read or ride their bikes once and for all. So why would we think that they would learn something as complicated as how to get along with other people once and for all? Children don't learn through suffering. They learn through doing it right. So we need to set it up so that kids can do it right. With little kids, this could be as easy as just setting up our environment so it's toddler-friendly, so that they can't do things that are going to get them in trouble. So we don't have to keep saying no, 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 no to them. But some parents would answer to that. I, I know because I have a friend that did that and said, but I have to live in this living room too. Right. It has to be adult-friendly yeah, too. Yeah, there has to be a balance. You don't yeah. have to live with all plastic furniture. <laughs> so. No, no. So, so, but how does a parent do it right if you, and, and, and I'm saying this on purpose because I heard you say it, but I want the listener to, to have heard it too. You're basically asking us, the adults, to live by example so that the children see the positiveness That's within our true. relationships, correct? That's very true. And the other thing that I believe very deeply is we can't help children move forward by convincing them of their badness. Think about that. I'm going to say it again. We can't help children move forward by convincing them of their badness. And yet that's so often what happens. You know, when we go on those tirades about, you know, you'd always do this and you're never, you're so mean, you never think of anybody but yourself. What does that suggest the next chapter in the story is going to be? More meaning. Um. More, right. more meanness, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because, because um, is, I'm just going to ask this, is the reason more meanness because the child actually believes you? It's because the child believes you because the child, you're not building that connection between the two of you. And, um, you know, what's the incentive to be, you know, to even try if even your parents don't believe in you? So let me give you another strategy, which is, I think, really important when we want to correct our children, which we okay. have to do because we're their parents and, you know, they don't know, yep. they need to learn. But we want to do it gently. So this is something I invented that I call soft criticisms. And by the way, it works very well with spouses and coworkers, <laughs> too. So we start with an excuse. Step one is an excuse. We give them an excuse because the instinctive thing when somebody criticizes us is to defend, well, no, it's not my fault and you do something worse and he did it too and mm -hmm. all the rest of it. So if we give them an excuse starting out, then they don't have to do that. And the excuse communicates that we believe that they're a good person with good intentions even when they mess up. So we could say something like, I know you didn't mean to or you probably didn't realize, or I understand that you have a lot going on. 
So we're mm-hmm. giving them an excuse up front. Then step two is the but. And this is the part that we really want to say. But we have to say it right because what we want to do is talk about a specific behavior, not meanness, but um, you know, not putting the shoes in the, in the, in the box or something like that. So the specific behavior or hitting a sister or um, ignoring your little brother, the specific behavior and the bad outcome. So we could say, but when you knock over your brother's tower, it makes him feel sad. So that's, okay. that's the second step. The third step is to focus on how do we move forward from here. So sometimes you can ask a question. What could you do to help your brother feel better? Mm-hmm. And now we're pulling from the good behavior for the kid. We're talking to their inner goodness and we're getting them to do it right. We're getting them back on track. Or sometimes you can say, what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again? And now we're teaching problem solving. Absolutely. Yes. But so what, you, is, what you just said, though, three steps, I find for parents, as a parent myself, is easier to do to children that aren't yours. <laughs> Does that make sense? Than your own children. Well, with you, your own children, you, the emotions tend to get more easily engaged. You, you somewhere I, I in between step two and three, you get, uh, I'm just telling you my experience, yeah. through step two and three, you get thrown by a curveball by your child that gets you not to finish number three. Have you, have you heard parents say that? If you can do the first step of getting their defensiveness down, mm-hmm. they are, I mean, nothing is a guarantee, but they are much more open to be able to hear what, they, uh, what, what it is that the, is the problem. And okay. if you focus on how to move forward, again, that's much easier to take than a big tirade about all the bad things they ever did. Sure. Because we can't erase what okay. they already did. Now, too often what I find is that parents worry about um, getting a punishment that's going to fit the crime. But children don't learn through suffering. They learn by doing it right. Even if we give them a timeout, let's say they hit their brother and you have to give them a timeout, it's not the timeout that teaches them. They learn from trying again when they get out and then they're calm and play nicely. And that's when we as parents want to be catching them being good. We want to say, oh, you guys are playing so peacefully. This is just a pleasure for me to see. So with, with the punishment there, because I, I, I'd love to know a little, little bit more about that, because like you say, a lot of parents are interested in that. Are you saying that we shouldn't punish at all, no timeouts, just talk to them? We have to, no, you don't want to just chatter away at the kid. That is, that is useless. Okay. Um, that's nagging. <laughs> you want the child to find the solution. We, what, we, what we do want to do is focus on moving forward. Sometimes kids do need a timeout because they're very emotional. And when kids are in a state that psychologists call emotionally flooded, they can't process new information. They can't understand somebody else's perspective. They can't plan. They can't problem solve. Basically, they can't think. So all of your good suggestions and reasonable comments, they are completely over the child's head. So there is no point talking to them at that point. A timeout can be very effective at that point, not to make them suffer, but to give them some space to cool down and calm down. And then we say afterwards, okay, let's try again. And we move forward. Um, so it's not that they have to suffer in that timeout. It's that they need the space to calm down so that they can try again. And that's where they're learning. 
that's when their learning takes place. Absolutely. Well, that, that is really good advice. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, one of the things that you said that I just wanted to come back to for just a second, the child, the adult, we all need attention. And right. We need positive attention. One of the things I should know that I deal with a lot is um, the subject of bullying, you know, name calling, all that stuff that goes on in school. And to tell you the truth, that also goes on sometimes in the home. Yes. And my question to you is, um, I really feel that the bully and the victim are mirror images. Uh-huh. And I really dislike very, very much that in the news and in the media we vilify the bully and we glorify the victim because both are seeking for attention and I'd, I'd just like your take on it as a clinical psychologist what is it that you can give advice actually because the bully needs as much care and love in, in my humble opinion as the victim does. Yes, and um, Gabriella, what you're saying actually matches the research that often the kids doing the bullying are the same ones who are getting the bullying. So um, when we think about aggression among children, there are are two main kinds. The first is um, the child who's kind of hot-headed, so they get emotional and then they lash out pretty much indiscriminately at whoever's around. So this child, to help them, what we need is... Um, anger management. They really need to to learn that to interpret things in in more gentle ways. So not to see everything as oh they did it out of deliberate meanness. They're trying to get to me, um, and to find ways to calm down and also ways to solve problems other than hitting somebody. The other kind of bullying happens in a more strategic way. Um, there are children who, not very many, but there are children who are looking for social power and are very adept at wielding both um, kindness and meanness in order to um, become more powerful in the group. These kids, you're right, they absolutely need our help because for them, relationships are about power. And how mm-hmm. sad is that? Very. So these kids really need to learn a different way of relating. Now, here's something that's interesting. There's research that if we put up the no bullying, stop bullying signs up around, kids will look at that and say, oh, yes, those bad people should stop doing that. So they don't see that (laughs) as applying to themselves at all. I used to be a a counselor in an elementary school, and when it came to um, anti-bullying month, I thought about, what do I want to do with these kids? And usually, if you say the word bullying in a group of children, the hands shoot up, and everybody's got a story. Yet, when I was in second grade, this boy did this to me, and everybody's got a story. But I thought, you know what? That's not useful, because that's pointing the finger outward. So what I did is I made a questionnaire, and this questionnaire is actually in Smart Parenting for Smart Kids. Um, but what it, what it does is it takes kids through a lot of examples of ordinary meanness. Have you ever complained about having to work with somebody? Have you, um, have you ever talked about somebody behind their back? Have you ever told a secret that you shouldn't have? So things that a lot of kids would have done. And I told the kids, don't put your name on this. 
It's going to be anonymous. But what I want you to do is answer honestly these questions. And if you say, no, I've never done any of these things, you're probably lying because these are common behaviors. Absolutely. So, so then they went through the thing, and I asked them, well, how did it feel to do this questionnaire? And some people said they felt um, guilty. And some people said they felt surprised. And some people felt, felt um, kind of amazed that you know, they hadn't realized, like their eyes were open. And then I said to them, okay, I want you to think now about a time when you made a less than kind choice. Don't tell me what it is, but raise your hand when you've got something in mind. And, of course, some people will hold out, so I said, we're going to wait until everybody has something in mind because <laughs> everybody's <laughs> made a less than kind choice sometime. Mm-hmm. And then I said to them, I want you to promise yourself that the next time you're in that situation, you're going to do the kind thing. So really, I think that is the, the, the key thing for fighting bullying, is encouraging kindness in every single child. Thank you. <laughs> because that's what I try to do. I'm smiling from ear to ear. And by the way, I just realized you and I need to go on a, on a panel together because I tell you that nobody believes me when I say that the bully and the victim are mirror images. Right. They just look at me and they glaze over, and then afterwards I see them go, well, that's interesting, but... Yeah, well, well. it's very easy to feel righteous, you know, defending a victim. But yes. these are children. We can't these just write exactly. off the bullies. Exactly. And we don't know the circumstances right. sometimes. Yeah. You know, I always, and this is back to your foundation that you were saying, you, you, you never know where, you know, where it came from. You don't know if they're foster children. You don't know if, if I mean, I've met a bully when I was young whose father died a horrible death and the child was the one that found the father and oh, she God. started bullying from that day forward and well, the other thing is though that a lot of times it, it really is more of a matter of ordinary meanness than true bullying because children's um, children's empathy is not fully developed and they're, they experiment with social power so you know how you know what will happen if I do this and they don't really realize the impact of their behavior on other people so one of the things that I've suggested in my with my clients is if somebody does something mean to you just look at them and say that was a mean thing to say and then turn around and get out of there so you're kind of calling them on it in the minute in the moment that it happens and you know just just moving away from there and and this is a good thing to do when a kid is not bad to the bone they're just sort of insensitive mm-hmm. absolutely and i also think that we're insensitive because nobody like you says calls us on it right. I, I, I might say something insensitive to someone not even meaning it but exactly. because I'm doing 30 things at the same time and they ask you that one question that you, you know, you're just impatient to answer. Right. So I know as adults, we already need to really, really watch it. Right. But or even, my, okay, so let's say the, the three girls are playing and two of them mm-hmm. are always the princess and one of them always ends up the scullery maid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she says nothing. They think this is okay. And she doesn't, she can't just say, well, they're mean. But what she could say is, this isn't fun for me. I don't like always being the, the scullery maid, so she can, she can speak up at that point. And if they're really friends, they'll adjust their behavior, and if they're not friends, well, she's better off finding another group. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that I should be on a psychi- uh, psychologist's couch 
just because when I was a child, nobody would ever let me be the cowboy. Oh, <laughs> Indian. And I was one of those children that literally, you know, I don't see myself. So I said, duh, why can't I be the cowboy? Uh-huh. And they all went, duh, you look like the Indian, Gabriela. You oh. have to. It's just written. And I, I was like one of those kids that literally would have looked in a manual. I, I, I took things very literally. <laughs> and I just said later, I remember on a reunion, I said, I want to be the cowboy. Oh. <laughs> and I never got to be the cowboy. So I, I'm very I, sorry I, to hear that. Loud and clear. It's so funny. And now we are coming to a subject that is not funny. And it's much more difficult to ask children Because like you just said, we can all be mean. I agree totally with you. I, I, I mean, we can because it, it just is. But how can we help parents? This is a difficult question. How can we help parents and children with the cyber world in teasing and being mean to a level that we don't always know how to take it back? Right. So let's that say that I thing. post yes. something mean. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be the, the mean person. So I just posted something mean because I was jealous. Right. And I'm 11 years old and this girl, in my opinion, has everything. And I just posted something nasty uh-huh. uh, about her. And it wasn't true. It's a rumor that I'm starting online. How can I, even if I suddenly have the empathy, how can I as the child take that back without losing face? That's very hard, and it would be more than a lot of kids would be capable of doing. But I, I think, for instance, if you're the mother who found out that your daughter did this, mm-hmm. um, you need to tell them this is a very hurtful thing. You need to apologize to her online in the same um, media that you that you said the thing. Um, sometimes they can delete. It depends what the, the platform is. Sometimes they can delete the thing, and that would be a good thing also. Um, again, they just don't realize the impact of things. The other thing that's also really important to educate our children about is that of, of how pervasive the social media is and these various private settings. It's not private ever. So what I tell my clients is don't put anything online that you wouldn't want announced over morning announcements uh, um, <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it's yeah. public. It is absolutely public. And I, I think that is the, one of the things that is so hard about cyberbullying. We know that um, real-life bullying is more common than cyberbullying, and often there's an overlap of kids be, who are cyberbullied and regular bullied. But there's something especially nasty about cyberbullying because it follows the children home, even into their bedrooms, and that, that can just make them feel so intruded upon. Mm-hmm. And it is so public. Everybody sees it. At least that's the way the children feel about it. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I think and I think that that's why they get so isolated because it's 24-7. Right, right. Yeah. And when it's an incident, you go home and the is- incident is no longer there when it's truly on the playground. Right. We have only a few minutes left. So um, real quickly on, on the part of cyberbullying, your advice is... Your, for my the advice parent to, to cultivate real friendships okay. because we know that kids who have a, a, um, 
good, good friends are less likely to be bullied. And the, the friendships are also a, a kind of protection. One of, uh, um, a girl I know had, um, people started, uh, we hate Jennifer. Um, oh yeah. I hear that all the time. And, but you know what? Her friends started a We Love Jennifer <laughs> Facebook page. So it didn't erase the nastiness, but it was a counterpoint. It was something that she could hang on to that really mattered a lot to her. So real-life friendships are key. Real-life friendships are key. I love it. Thank you. You're very One welcome. of the things, for everyone, for the listener out there, um, Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore has more than one book out there. Smart Parenting for Smart Kit. Pick it up today. Go to the link on Amazon or go to Voice America. And uh, all her links are there of all three books. And uh, also feel free to go to psychologytoday.com slash blog growing dash friendships with an S. And yeah, otherwise go to her website. There. Excuse me, sorry. There's, there's one more slash in there. There's a slash before growing friendships. Oh, sorry, but if you go to, after blog, yeah. If you, if you just type into Google growing friendships and psychology today, you'll find it. Super. I thank you so much, uh, Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, to have come on my show because um, there is not one thing you didn't say that we don't need to hear out there, both for the parents and the children. So it's been incredibly useful. And I have a feeling you're going to be back on our show with another topic. I really would like that. And maybe even we could have some children on the show and do something quite special with them. I think that would be terrific. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. Would you like us to leave us with one short, brief sentence? Kindness is the key to friendship. That's what we need to teach our children, to, to reach out to other people in kind ways, whether it's greeting them, smiling at them, giving a small compliment, or just being nice to them. That, it all so, comes down to kindness. Thank you so much, everyone, and thank you for my guest, Dr. Eileen Kennedy-Moore. And next week, we'll be back with another guest. Thank you, Gabriela. Bye-bye. Welcome. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week. And until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform.